Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. mortals and welcome to a very special spooky episode of jumping bomb audio the number one show all about the world of joshi pro wrestling happy halloween to those of you listening to this on october 31st halloween day my name is taylor and i am joined as always by my co-ghost kelly kelly happy halloween happy halloween hello ghosts and ghouls out there listening to us Kelly, I heard from a little bird that you had a Halloween movie marathon yesterday. I did. I went to a friend's house and we watched some movies and had a nice cheese tray. Oh, of course. That Halloween staple, a cheese tray. Yeah. Watched uh, the original Candyman. Never seen that before. That's a a fun movie. Yeah. A lot of bees. A lot of bees. (laughs) I, I can't believe that dude held all those bees in his mouth for real. My little twist uh, to this story is that the little bird who told me about the Halloween movie marathon was Kelly. It was me. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was like, oh, Taylor, I don't know. I don't think I have time to watch anything. But then you did. And then I did. Yeah. We have a lot to talk about in this episode. I set aside Saturday to watch things, but then I remembered that I have a thing and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. And then I did it. I stressed out for nothing. You can do anything you put your mind to, Kelly. Yeah. I'm one, I'm thinking that like I may have had a tiny touch of COVID brain from my booster. 
So that may have been me not thinking very clearly in that moment. Well, it's good to know that you got boosted and good to know you watched a lot of Joshi that we will be talking about on this episode. We will be starting off, kicking off an in-depth review of the most recent seedling Corican Hall show. That's right. Going deep into seedling, which we haven't done in a while. We'll be talking about all the action from the last two weeks of stardom, including New Blood and the IWGP tournament, as well as a little bit extra, a new segment that we've never done. And then we'll also be talking some Tokyo Joshi that's been happening over the last two weeks. Before we start, we got to do the plugs. Here they are. Follow us on Twitter. Now, before Twitter becomes a hellhole that's unusable, follow <laughs> us at Audio. You can follow Kelly at Comic Geek Kelly. And you can follow me at Tay Mambo. Subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice. And if that app of choice happens to be Apple Podcasts, we'd really love a five-star rating and review. And if you're feeling extra generous, you can donate to the show at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. So let's get right into it. Talking some seedling from October 19th, the show October 5th from Corican Hall in front of 455 fans. Kelly, what would you think of this show? I thought it was a good show. Uh, There wasn't any matches where I would be like, oh my God, you need to go out of your way to see this. But as a whole, the show was really fun. It was a breezy show. I I enjoyed it a lot. And it told like a a nice little kind of compact story with this tournament. So it was a, it was a good, solid show to watch. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I have almost the same thought. I don't think there's any single match that would be a must-watch match on here. But I really liked it. I thought the show moved. Uh, really quickly for a show that had a lot of matches on it because of this tournament that they did. But I thought they all moved really quickly. There wasn't really any time when I'm like, oh, gosh, another tournament match. Or, you know, I was sitting there thinking, oh, you know, this match is going really long. Um, The longest match on the show was the tag title semi-main, which only went 14 minutes. Uh, the longest singles match on the show was only 10 minutes long. So some pretty quick matches in this one. The first match was the first match in the Seedling Beyond the Sea title tournament. The title uh, being vacated by Risa Nakajima after her injury. And this show was a one-night tournament to crown a new champion the first match, Hiroyo Matsumoto defeating Ayame Sasamura in five minutes and nine seconds. Kelly, what do you think of this match? It was a really good sprint to open the show with. Uh, Sasamura was great here as the underdog, and there were a couple times where it looked like she could have pulled out the win, uh, but the Matsumoto, you know, just wrecked her eventually. The, I like that the finish just kind of came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden it's just like, okay, cool, the match is done. Time for... Uh, Matsumoto to get ready for her next match. <laughs> I gave this one three and a half stars. I really enjoyed it. What about you? Yeah, I thought it was uh, really solid. I thought it was tightly packed with a lot of action in a short amount of time. I have always thought uh, Sasamura is sort of underutilized 
I wish I could see her sort of in more places and maybe some higher stakes matches just because I think she's really talented. She has good matches when I watch her, but it's never really in a big spot, which sort of bummed me out because I think she would do really well uh, in sort of higher pressure, higher, more meaningful matches. And so, uh, you know, happy to see Hiroyo move on here, but sort of bummed that you couldn't see more of Sasamura. But I also thought the sh- uh, thought the match was really good. My question, I was thinking about this as I was watching this match and the show. And Kelly, I'll throw this out to you. I don't have the answer, so this isn't like a predetermined. This is a genuine question I have. Are we wondering it, what food uh, Matsumoto's gear is no, based on? No. <laughs> That's been asked and answered. <laughs> We've covered that. Uh, my question is, if you were making a modern Joshi Hall of Fame, let's say f- starting from people who debuted starting in 2000 or so, okay, give or take, does Hiroyo Matsumoto get into the Joshi Hall of Fame? Um, I, I don't know. Because it's like, it's hard to say. It's like, who ends up in there? Like, <sighs> I mean, I think there would be very obvious, you know, I think like Mako would get, Mako Satomura would get in there. I mean, she's a yeah. little bit before 2000, but... People, uh, Io Shirai, yeah, the the threedom for sure. You know, yeah, Mayu Iwatani would get in. Sukasa Fujimoto, I think, would get in. Emi Sakura would get yeah, in. I, I guess, I guess, I'd put Matsumoto in there. Then she's been a kind of just a stalwart of the scene for so long, and is always near the top of whatever company she's working for. It just feels like to me that she's never really had that big, um. Maybe moments, not the right word, but sort of yeah. focus. You know, she's won a lot of titles, but a lot of the titles she's won, she's won have been tag titles, trios titles, things like that. So it feels like she is a big deal because she's held a lot of titles, but never uh, sort of been the focus of a company in that way that I think of with someone who I would consider a Hall of Famer. I guess this is on my mind as all the talk goes around about the wrestling observer hall of fame, but just something I was thinking of. I don't know if you listeners have any thoughts, you can join us in the voices of wrestling discord in the jumping bomb audio channel and let us know. What do you think? Do you think Matsumoto would be a modern Joshi hall of famer? Don't know. The next match was another match in the Beyond the Sea title tournament. First round, Rico Kaiju defeating Amazon in four minutes and 31 seconds. I thought uh, for about four minutes of this, it was pretty good. And then the ending happened, and I really have no idea what went on. Uh, Amazon went to the top rope and looked like she went for a frog splash maybe uh sort of just jumped off the rope uh rico was not in the right position i guess it they just sort of collided 
and then Rico won. Yeah, I I, I thought this whole match was kind of bad. Uh, Amazon really reminded me of Bad Luck Folly here, and I don't mean that as a compliment. I thought it was fairly solid work for most of it. I was happy to see Rico win and move on because I think she's very talented and I was happy to see more of her. But just the end, at right at the end, I was like, ooh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Shades on. of Tamina Snuka. <laughs> and moving on, the next match in the Beyond the Sea title tournament, another first round match, Ryo Mizunami defeating Misa Kagura in six minutes and 57 seconds. Kelly, I didn't have many thoughts about this match. Did you have many thoughts about this match? Not really. I really liked the ending where it kind of just felt like Mizunami finally had enough of the match and was like, all right, cool, we're done. And then <laughs> put an end to it. It's like she she could have ended this a while ago, but she's just been kind of toying with her. And then she realized, oh, wait, I still have to do a bunch of rest of tournament matches. OK, we're over now. Yeah, I thought it was mainly just a fine match. There wasn't I didn't really have strong feelings uh, in any direction you know with so many matches on the card you know some are i think just gonna be sort of like yeah that was fine moving on you know you get someone moving on to the next round and that's the point of the tournament the next match was the final match in the first round of the seedling beyond the sea title tournament hanako nakamori and you going to a 10 minute time limit draw kelly what do you think of the only time limit draw of this tournament i thought it was fine not not really bad not really good i I just went two stars on it it was whatever uh i do i want to know like the psychology of wrestlers where no matter what it when it's time limit draw they very much slow it down in the early goings so you can see the draw coming a mile away whereas if they just had a regular match and they had to hit a 10 minute mark they wouldn't wrestle thing like they would just go wrestle it as though it's a regular match. But I don't know. It feels like when there's the time limit in there, they kind of just psychologically think, oh, we got to slow it down, brother. It's like, I I don't know. I saw I saw the result of this one coming a mile away. What did you? I don't know that I saw the result coming. I mean, I'm not totally surprised with a 10 minute 10 minute time limit that it would have gone there. And I do agree with you. I mean, I thought this match, I wrote in my notes, I thought it started out pretty boring. Um, and then right at the end got heated. Uh, and I was sort of like, oh, here they go. And it was clear that they were then working for the draw. It seems like it makes sense to me if you're doing a 60-minute time limit draw that it's going to be hard to fill 60 minutes yeah. with like wall-to-wall action just from a cardio perspective like that makes sense to me you can't be like okay let's plan out like a 70 minute match and then do the last 10 minutes like really fast (laughs) but like a 10 minute time limit draw just like work out a 12 minute match yeah and like have the end go quickly yeah that's just a regular match and it's like i it's still they they 100 wrestled it like with the the mindset of we have to do a 30-minute draw. Like, all right, cool. We'll slow it down for a while, Put get a hold in there. 
I mean, and I will say for me, and I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but you is just someone who I think I still, even though she had the time off for the injury, I just have it in my mind that the era of time when she was on every show, she was challenging for every <laughs> title, which happens with a lot of Joshi um, wrestlers from time to time, someone coming up who we'll talk about as well. And I think I still have residual sort of um, memories of that in my mind. So when you comes out, I'm like, oh, another you match. Uh, <laughs> and there's just something in my brain that does not allow me to sort of watch it in a way that's like, oh, a match. Here we go. I'm just sort of like, oh, OK. Yeah, that's pro wrestling Eve's you. Match. Yeah. Um and Nakamori's always been interested in that interesting to me in that I think she's fairly good. She just doesn't really do anything for me. Uh, she's been appearing in Seedling for quite a while. She was in the first, um, the inaugural Beyond the Sea title tournament when they were crowning the first champion. And that was a fairly, I remember that was a fairly stacked tournament. And she always felt to me like sort of the weakest link in that tournament. So I think it was also a case of just two people who I'm not all that invested in going to a time limit draw, which we know how I feel about time limit draws, although here it was fine. But, you know, just sort of a match. It did its purpose in terms of lining up. The matches, it saves you from having to have another match on this show that already has quite a few matches. Um, so, yeah, just sort of a shrug. Yeah. The next match on the show was not a Beyond the Sea title tournament match. It was the the typical seedling high-speed three-way elimination match where Kaori Yoniyama eliminated both Kakaru Sekiguchi and Eureka Oka in 11 minutes and 44 seconds to win the match. I was sort of surprised in that this felt like it had less high-speed uh, goofiness than some of the other high-speed matches typically do in terms of involving uh, Tayo and things like that. It felt like a fairly straightforward match. I thought it was fairly good, but sort of surprised that it was a little bit of a change of pace from the usual high-speed stuff. Yeah, I mean, and these uh, high-speed matches will always find a way to confuse your old pal Kelly because I completely forgot it was an elimination match. So after the first fall, I was very confused why it was still going. Uh, looking at the times for this match, I would never have guessed there was five minutes in between the first and second uh, elimination. Like, it felt like it went way quicker than that. So credit to them for making things just flow really well. Uh, it, it was fun. I went three and a half on it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Kelly, I think the thing we're learning is when there are elimination matches in Joshi, your brain does not process that information. It doesn't, for whatever... Like, I just... I don't recognize it when they when they talk about it. like I don't hear whatever if they ever say anything and then just the bell rings and I'm like okay cool this is just a regular old match and then next thing you know I get really confused. 
Because I think this is the second or third time on this podcast alone that you have talked yeah. about not not realizing a match was elimination. Yeah, because there there was the uh, the stardom match with the when the Natsupoi turn happened. That was the most recent example I can think of. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I would agree with you. It is sort of surprising that the second uh, fall went over five minutes because I also probably would have thought it was much shorter uh, than that. Yeah, like in my head, they kind of went almost back to back. <laughs> like It wasn't like immediate, but it felt like there was maybe two minutes. Yeah, I would have thought maybe like three minutes or so. Um, but certainly not five minutes, but a sign of a, a well-worked match. Time yeah. flies when you're having fun. Exactly. They say. Moving into the second half of the show and the second round of the seedling beyond the sea title tournament, the first match of the second round, Hiroyo Matsumoto defeating Rico Kaiju in five minutes and 43 seconds. I really liked this match. I thought they just got in the ring they went they did their stuff fast paced i thought rico looked really good um and i liked the end i like the finish of you see so many times in wrestling the sort of um double pin where someone pins and it's like a two count and then they pin again and it's a two count and then they pin again and it's a two count and it seems like that never really finishes matches and you know the announcers come in they're like oh they're doing this you know to wear their opponent down and uh, make them exert energy of kicking out i like the finish of this of hiroyo going for the pin getting to adjusting the pin doing something visually that you could see that she was doing differently for the second pin it wasn't just like pin pin again you know she adjusted moved Rico and got the pin on the second one. I thought that was a really fun, cool finish. And so uh, this was my favorite match up to, up to this point. I think this was my favorite match of the whole show, to be honest. Uh, this was really good. I, and like you mentioned with the, I love the finish where it was Matsumoto just, you know, like, all right, hang on, let me hook this in way deep and then I'll win with it now. And it's like, Hey, that worked. That was cool. And it, cause it was almost like she remembered like, shit, I've got another match right after this. I got to finish this. And so it, it, it led into the next match really well. Uh, Rico Kaiju was awesome here. The, her selling on the, uh, the Boston crab that Matsumoto put her in was like, she was being murdered and it was awesome. <laughs> like that was one of the best sell jobs I've ever seen. It was so good. Uh, this yeah, I like this a lot. I went three and three quarters on it, and yeah, I think it is my match of the show. And as you mentioned, that led directly into the first semi-final match of the tournament, which was once again Hiroyo Matsumoto defeating Riko Kawahata in five minutes and forty-one seconds. I thought this was another really well-worked, fast-paced match, and one thing I thought. All of these matches did really well was we talked about they were most of them are very short, you know, five minutes, 41 seconds, the longest one being 10 minutes. I thought all the matches did a really good job of making the losers offense look strong, even though they were very short matches. 
that you would think if you would look at it, you might say, oh, you know, Matsumoto beat Rico Kawahata in only five minutes, less than six minutes. It sounds like a, almost a, close to a squash, but I never really felt like the loser came out looking like, oh, you just got totally blasted away and looked terrible. I thought Kawahata got good offense in. I thought she looked good. And it felt to me at the end like, oh, you know, she just happened to lose. It didn't feel to me like, oh, she really got blasted by Matsumoto, especially Matsumoto coming into the second match in a row for her selling a little bit of exhaustion. So that's what I thought really was a strength of this show. Even though the matches were short, I thought everyone looked good and it didn't separate itself into the losers look bad and the winners looked good. Yeah, It was definitely a case of the winners were just trying to wrap things up as fast as they possibly could because they have however many matches ahead of them. So it was like they were trying every trick in the book to get it. It, it was very much the Saki Kashima playbook for tournament victories. <laughs> so we we got to wrap this up. Let's go. Uh, this it was a great companion to the previous match. And like you said, Kawahata came out of this looking great. She tried her damnedest, but, you know, Matsumoto was just on a roll and couldn't be stopped. I uh, went three and a half on this one. Really good. Another just fun sprint tournament match. The next match, the final match in the semifinal round, Itsuki Aoki defeating Ryo Mizunami in only two minutes and 21 seconds. Kelly, not a lot of actual match to talk about here, but what'd you yeah. think about this one? It was good. Like, just like, uh, it was, it was a fun sprint. And again, it was the, the Toriano Saki Kashima school of winning tournament matches here with Aoki just rolling up Mizunami as quick as she could to get the, get the win. I was fairly surprised by the result because when the match started, I thought, Oh, they're going to do Mizunami Matsumoto in the finals. Cause that seems like the match to have. And then very quickly, it turned out that I was wrong about that. <laughs> there was, during this very short match, a headbutt that Itsuki Aoki gave that sounded like it was accidentally a real headbutt. Yes. <laughs> um, like she was doing the sort of hands in front of, you know, hands in front of the head and then you just hit the hand. But one of them was like thump. And I was like, ooh, did she miss her hand? And <laughs> accidentally... Uh, do a headbutt there. So maybe, don't know. Um, I also thought a strength of this that came out here was because all the matches were short, something like this, two minutes and 21 seconds, it didn't feel like the like seedling sort of, not cheating's probably not the right word, but just sort of finagling with it. It felt... It felt a piece of the whole tournament, like you said, of coming out and being like, I have to get the win very fast because I'm about to have another match if I win. And it didn't feel you don't sit here thinking, oh, it's because the company, you know, needed this thing A to happen for thing B to happen and then thing C to happen. It felt like part of the story of the tournament. Yeah, and that's that's one thing I really liked about this show is it just felt like a really cohesive 
story driven show where it's just here's that this is the tournament show so everything kind of flows into each other yeah you're totally right it felt like all one piece to me yeah and that everything that happened felt very logical and natural to happen in a tournament of this style where you're wrestling multiple you know you're doing all these matches you're wrestling multiple matches on one show between the different wrestlers you know matsumoto wrestling four times in total on the night um which i really enjoy because i often think about things like that in tournaments that i would like to sort of see more of that i think are sometimes hard to pull off like i thought about this a lot during the five star grand prix which is the idea of you know, you have these long tournaments in which people are wrestling very frequently, probably more frequently in singles matches than they would at any other time. And I think there are interesting things that every every company could do, not just I'm not just thinking of stardom, but it just happens that the five star was the most recent type of this tournament that I watched, but that there could be stories of with these long tournaments of becoming exhausted, being able to lose, you know, do the better wrestlers win early on and then lose later on, you know, in the five star, they had Julia lose the first two matches that she wrestled and then be very good moving forward. But I think there would be interesting stories of like, when you get to the last day, the fact is in story, most of these people should probably be very exhausted. Yeah. And like the matches should, in my mind, be shorter and there should be a lot more upsets. Yeah, I you, we don't really get that much. Like I feel I feel like no tournament ever does it that way. No, there was a time where I think like, I don't know, maybe like 2014, 2015 ish. Like I feel like the G1 kind of had that feeling near the end, but you still had the long matches near the end. So, I, yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting. It's one of those things. It's not a criticism of any of these tournaments because it's not something, you know, it's just sort of an idea I have. But I thought a lot of the sort of thoughts I've had about tournaments were sort of in this show where Mm -hmm. it's like the matches are quick. People are showing exhaustion in matches. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I think it also could be more of a since this was one show, it could be the cohesive piece. Whereas the other like block or the round Robin tournaments that are multiple shows, maybe the promoters want to kind of gear each individual show to be like a point where if someone drops in, they'll still be fine enough. So we don't want to go super heavy and kind of that kind of storytelling, but that really kind of goes against just wrestling as a whole. So I don't, I talked myself out of it already. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think obviously booking a one night tournament for one show is a lot easier than booking a many month long round robin. Yeah. And you also know what tournament was always good about uh, doing like the exhaustion story and that kind of stuff was the Battle of Los Angeles. And that was was that three nights? Yes, I think it was spread across three nights. OK, I own one of. Oh, yeah, it was. I own one of them and I'm looking 
at my collection here and I have three DVDs. So yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, and I can totally imagine, you know, if you're booking a long round robin tournament, you don't want to set it up where if you go see a show late in the tournament that you're seeing a bunch of like really short matches. Yeah. Um, so I totally understand. It's just sort of an interesting idea I've always had when watching these tournaments to be like, it would be interesting to watch something like that, to be like, this is a grueling tournament and it's a tournament of, not the tournament of survival, but a tournament of surviving, um, sort of surviving getting through such a high number of matches so quickly. You know, some of these people, it's like Saki Kashima sort of has it down because she's not wrestling singles matches every five days outside of the five star. Yeah. You know, that's a bad example because she does all the flash pin stuff. But, you know, a lot of those people are not probably not used to in kayfabe wrestling so often. So, you know, just an idea I had. If any promoters are listening, try it out. Uh, and tell me about it, and I'll watch the tournament. <laughs> yeah, let us know how it goes. Yeah, especially Joshi Promoters, so that we could cover it on this podcast. Yeah. Triple H, uh, if you decide to run a big tournament in the coming months, let us know. Your uh, your favorite podcast, and we'll, uh, we'll maybe we'll give it a watch. Yes, of course. Famous Joshi Promoter, Triple H. Yep. Our biggest fan. Anyway, the semi-main event of this show was the one tag was the one title match on the show. The Seedling Beyond the Sea tag team titles, the champions Asuka and Makoto defeating the challengers of Saki and Yuko Sakurai in 14 minutes and 12 seconds. Kelly, what do you think of this big title match? I thought this was an interesting match, like going back to something you said earlier about how you have all these short matches, but it doesn't feel like the losers are coming out looking bad or anything. This is the longest match on the show, but this is the match that to me felt the most like a squash because Asuka and Makoto just kind of beat the hell out of Saki and Sakurai and they never felt like they were in control of the match. Like there was, they had some hope spots, but it was always Asuka and Makoto in control, and they just kind of kept the match going their way and through the whole match to me. So it was like they came out clearly the betters of the teams here. Uh, so I thought that was interesting in just how it was a contrast almost to the rest of the show. Uh, decent enough match. And nothing that blew me away, but I thought it was just more interesting than anything when you compare it to the rest of the show. Yeah, I thought my notes were, I thought it was like a lot of the rest of the show, which I thought it was fun, but nothing that was must see to me, especially for a title match. I did have to call out. We do have to briefly go into fashion corner here. Oh, and I was sort of thrown off that Makoto and Yuko Sakurai were wearing almost identical colors. <laughs> yeah, they were. It was very strange to me because it, it wasn't like they were both wearing red, which is a very common color. It's like, okay, two people are wearing red. Who cares? They were wearing like teal and purple. And I was like, how strange. I don't know that I can't remember the last time 
when two people were wearing such close colors that were not primary colors. It was just very strange to me that you wouldn't have been in the locker room and been like, oh, I'm wearing this gear. And just to think like, oh, I'll wear my other gear then. I don't know. Maybe they only came with one gear each, <laughs> uh, one set of gear. Uh, one thing I liked in this match, but also in a lot of the other matches, a very small thing, one of my pet peeves of wrestling that for a long time I've just accepted that it's not a thing that happens and I have to get over it. I hate when someone's going someone's going for a top rope move, their opponent is laying on the mat, the person's climbing up the ropes, and you see the person on the ground like scooching around. Just like, shuffle it over. <laughs> like moving themselves to get in position. It drives me insane. It looks so stupid. And people are like, well, you know, they have to be in the right position. I'm like, I understand they have to be in the right position. Every time someone went to the top rope in the show to do a move, they moved their opponent before they went to the top rope. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that is what you should do. It takes two seconds. It's not like you have to spend five minutes moving them around. Grab their arm, move them into position, and go up on the top rope. It looks so much better. It looks so much smarter. They did it in this match. Uh, Matsumoto did it in one of her matches. But I was like, yes, this is it. It's so simple. Everyone can do it. And yet yeah. almost no one does it. And also, like, I feel like the cameraman and the director need to do their best to not get the person moving on sh in the shot. <laughs> yes. Well, that's a whole separate conversation about yeah. shooting wrestling, which I think has gotten worse and worse over the years. It, this I feel like this year in particular has been horrible. Like just around the board. Like I think I, I've gone off about the stardom, how they shoot shows, but I think just every company has had really bad. Like I fucking AEW is constantly showing people blading like all the time. And it's just, I don't know what's happened that made everything so bad lately. It seems like a position where there's so many positions in wrestling that are desirable i guess obviously being a wrestler being a referee working the you know working the bell whatever you have it feels like there's not i mean i can't name a single person who i'm like this person is a wrestling camera person yeah it just sort of very much feels Oh, who do we have? Oh, you, you're going to do the camera. I mean, especially in independent wrestling where it's like, let's find a guy off the street. Uh, just shoot the action. Just like aim the camera that way and hit record mm -hmm. or whatever. Like, I, I feel like the smart Mark video crew does a fair enough job for stuff. Like they're probably one of the best, like the best in the, uh, the U S Indies, I would say. It just feels like there's room for people to be like, I am a wrestling camera person and learn. I mean, you talked about AEW. AEW has been on the air for three years or whatever it is now. And it feels like every week there's at least one mistake where I'm like, has the person shooting the show ever watched wrestling? Yeah. 
like people are like jumping in the ring and I'm like, okay, they're going to do a dive very clearly, very obviously everyone who's ever watched more than a couple weeks of wrestling knows exactly what's about to happen. They go to do the dive and they miss the dive. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what, where, where have you been? (laughs) This is like the most obvious thing that's about to happen. I mean, I will say the one, the new Japan rainmaker zoom out is seemingly the only thing I can think of where it's clear that the people shooting it know what to do. Yes. Universally too. Yeah. It's like the one thing that people can get through their mind. It's like when he does this zoom out (laughs) and I'm like, when people are in the ring and a bunch of people are outside the ring, go over there because he's about to do a dive. (laughs) Like it's easy. But yes, you are totally right. But it's on this occasion with the top rope move. I think it's both. Mm -hmm. You know, you should move, but also the camera person should always work with you. Yeah, it's a it's you've got a the director and the camera people should be there as a part. They're not just there to shoot like you should be a part of the show as well. You know, I mean, not like in front of the camera part of the show, but behind the camera part of the show obviously <laughs> don't need cameramen doing run-ins the classic um oh the cameraman is actually part of our faction yeah uh, twist seedling needs to go back to putting gopros on the referees <laughs> and the main event the final match of the seedling beyond the sea title tournament hiroyo matsumoto defeating Itsuki Aoki in nine minutes and 18 seconds. Kelly, what did you think of the main event of this match? I thought it was really good. Uh, probably my second favorite match of the show. Not not far at all behind the Matsumoto Kaiju match. Uh, I went with three and three quarters on this one as well. It really, it's interesting that this was, of course, a tournament, but it really kind of just felt like a gauntlet for Matsumoto more than anything, where it was just, she had this insurmountable challenge like a harder road than anyone else with the extra match. And it felt like this was just her fighting against everything to win. Uh, I thought Aoki did a really good job of attacking the leg and making the big focus of the match. Uh, Matsumoto came out of this looking really beat up and, you know, rightfully so having all these matches. She had a gnarly looking bruise on her arm that I don't know if it happened earlier, but I just didn't notice it until at this point. But that looked nasty. Uh, af- after these matches, she definitely deserves the title. So this was it was a good good way to wrap up the show. I was really happy with this finals. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, I thought coming into it, I mean, they started the show showing Matsumoto's very emotional promo from the show where Nakajima got injured. And so it seemed to me sort of obvious. I was like, well, Matsumoto's winning this tournament, clearly. Um, But I thought they did do a good job sort of putting her through the ringer, as you said. And I thought that this match was excellent. We just talked about, you know, sort of showing an exhaust, showing exhaustion throughout a tournament. And I thought they did that really well in this match. I mean, they both at times seemed totally exhausted which totally makes sense. I mean, Matsumoto wrestling 
you know, this her fourth match. It makes sense that they would be exhausted. So I thought it was really good from that perspective. Even if I didn't think it was a blow away match, I thought it was very good. But I thought that that element of it really felt, especially with Matsumoto, like two people at the end of a grueling show and didn't just sort of feel like, you know, I think a lot of promotions, especially with the tag title match in the semi-main, would have just presented it as something like, oh, well, uh, they got 20 minutes off for that tag title match, so now they're all good, and they can go out there and wrestle like maniacs again. Uh huh. But that's not the way it works <laughs> in life, in any other sport in life, you know, something like football, basketball, they have halftime, but it doesn't mean the guys come out after halftime and they're like totally refreshed and they're 100%. You know, it's only a few minutes. You're not going to, rec- you know, that takes a night to recover, a couple days to recover. So I thought that was really cool and it really put that sort of bow on the tournament of this, as I said, one whole holistic tournament that all sort of made sense, fit together. And so I really liked it. Thought it was a good end to the show. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's like it's a show I would, again, I don't have a single match where I'm like, you need to watch this. But I would just say just watch the whole show. It's a really good watch. Yeah, and I think... Uh, you know, Seedling, some months back, a year back, whatever we want to say, to me was very hot at the time because they were doing sort of these shows with storylines that I was really into. You know, they were hot coming off of the Takahashi Nakajima uh, hair match, which I thought was really good. Got a ton of votes in the Joshi uh in the VOW match of the year poll. And so it felt like they were really hot. Then Takahashi left and then Nakajima gets injured. And it sort of feels a little bit like the air being let out of the, out of the balloon. But I thought that this show was a really good reminder of the things that seedling does really well, even though there isn't sort of that overarching story. I think Seedling has always been really good about doing the little things that really take matches, even matches that are not four and a half stars, you know, four and a quarter stars, and making them feel important and making them really exciting to watch. And I thought this show was a great example of that. Yeah, definitely. It Like, this would have been a really fun VHS tape to find, you know? <laughs> Just yes. have that and just, cool, I can watch this over and over and over. <laughs> Not a DVD, but a VHS. Yeah, no, it, it definitely feels like a show. You get it from uh, from RF, and that's your tape for the month. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer.
If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, fellow kids. (laughs) Well, anyway, what else has been happening in the last two weeks of Joshi? Well, a lot has been happening in stardom. The first thing, they had their new blood number five show. The big news coming out of that show is Amisore defeating the longtime champion Hannon to become the new future of stardom champion. Kelly, what were your thoughts on this show overall? I thought the show was fine. Uh, I didn't really... Like, I watched it. I don't remember a ton from it. It's just... It kind of just went in one ear and out the other, I guess. Uh, the main event, from what I remember, was pretty good. But overall, just... The New Blood shows kind of just kind of... They, they happen. They're, they're, they're not, there's not much to them. Yeah, I think they're not shows really after the first one, which... I still think was the best new blood show that they've had. These are not sort of blow away in ring shows from any perspective. Uh, I've sort of enjoyed them most as a chance to either see some people who I have not ever seen, which in this case was uh, Chen Yoda, who I had not seen wrestle or seeing people who maybe I have watched on smaller shows sort of get a bigger opportunity people like uh, rhythm on this show who was someone who i really liked uh, some time ago in just tap out when i was watching just tap out more regularly uh, people like yuna mizamori who i was very happy to see uh, kelly what did you think of chan yoda i bring this up because we also had a request Uh, from Gerard of the Emerald Flow Show on this very Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. He requested we watch the Chen Yoda, Rina Yamashita versus uh, Natsu Sumire and Makoto match from PPP. So Kelly, what were your thoughts on this Chen Yoda match and also that PPP match? Uh, I think she's good. I think she's, I mean, she's obviously has a lot of room to improve, but she's, she's coming. She's doing good. Um, you know, strong can squat Rossi. That's always good. Uh, but yeah, no, I like her. I, I'm looking forward to seeing her kind of growth as a wrestler. 
I had not seen her, and the only pictures I had seen of her was in her old gear, I guess we call it, which was like that purple stretch fabric. Uh, oh, yeah, which, yeah, yeah. Which to me always sort of looked like, uh, like fine. She came out for this show in that new gear, and I, I thought, I was like, this looks like a wrestler. Mm-hmm. You know, some people, they come out and just because some people don't really look like wrestlers. They can try and put things on or wear certain gear that make them, that make you think, oh, okay, they look like a wrestler. And some people, I think to me, just sort of more naturally look like wrestlers to me. And I think with this new gear, which I thought looked really good, I was like, I agree with you that she's certainly still very young. You know, I think she has some potential. But to me, a huge thing is she looks to me like a professional wrestler should look. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, you know, her other um, occupations and things like that. And I think it would be easier to lean into that. But I don't think they have really done that. No, Uh, not really. In terms of what she looks like in ring and sort of what she does in ring. So that I was also sort of surprised by. And I thought she looked fine in the match with May Sakurai. And I thought she looked fairly, you know, she has potential in that PPP match. It wasn't a match I was blown away by in any stretch of the imagination. But I thought she looked like someone who I thought I would like to see more of this person. I was kind of surprised at how straight the PPP match was played. Like I'd kind of figured it'd be more porny. Yeah, it was my first. I have not watched any PPP. I don't know. Is it triple P? I don't know. It's just fun to say PPP though. <laughs> Cause I know it's triple six. Yeah. Uh, which is the only other repeating promotion I've ever heard of. Um, but we can call it PPP, even if it is triple P yeah. for you, Kelly. Yay. <laughs> uh, we also do have to talk about uh, Haruka Umasaki appearing as Karma. Oh, that was. Oh, God, that's right. <laughs> Kelly, what did you think of Karma? Why is she taking Shima's gimmick? Why is she just like, I'm going to do the tassels and the funny glasses? And I think she did a meteora at one point, too. Like, it's just. It really just feels like she's like, what if I made uh, Shima spooky? <laughs> I liked I liked tassels on the gear, so I was it. I was all about that. Oh, I think it's fine, and, but like once I realized that it's just kind of lifting Shima's gear and his glasses and some of his moves, uh, that's all I could see. <laughs> so that was New Blood Five, but there were other Stardom shows that were happening. The biggest. Two shows on October 22nd and 23rd. The highlight of those shows was the IWGP tournament. The end result is that on November 20th, at the historic crossover event between New Japan and Stardom, it will be Mayu Iwatani versus Kairi for the IWGP women's title. Kelly, what did you think of the tournament? It's the, I guess, mini tournament itself and the matches. Uh, I enjoyed what I saw. I didn't see any of the tournament matches that weren't on these two shows because I was there was the one on the British show for New Japan, right? Yeah, Ava 
Ava yeah. and Alpha Female. Yeah. So I didn't see that. And was there another match? Like where where did the did Kyrie have a prior match? I don't think there was. I think that was the only one. It was a very sort of strangely laid out tournament. To yeah. Me. But yeah. So of these matches, I saw I I liked uh, the. From the 22nd, I think the best match was Utami versus Himika because it was big, meaty women bumping meat. Definite beef slapper, a real good time. I went three and three quarters on that one. Uh, Mayu and Momo, good match, hidden under Uedo Tai bullshit with a really cool finish. Like I That new Mayu doing the crazy springboard poison Rana is awesome. <laughs> Like, I don't has she used that before or was it that brand new? I don't know. I certainly I'm trying to remember. I don't think she's used it before. Maybe she has once or twice, but certainly not commonly, I don't think. No, because either they, way, it was cool as hell. Brought it back for the finals because yeah. she went to hit it and got a big reaction. I mean, at least from the announcers who really were like, whoa. Uh yeah, but I thought that that move ruled. Uh, if she hasn't done it in the past, she should do it more. Yeah, no, that's definitely add that to the arsenal because it's fucking awesome. Uh, Kyrie versus Alpha Female was whatever. Uh, Kyrie did what she could with what she had, but Alpha Female is not great. Uh, I thought the the softest buckle bump in the world that anyone ever took was in this match, and it was hilarious, and it somehow led to the finish. <laughs> Which that looked like shit, Alpha Female. You gotta, you gotta hit that buckle harder. I uh, just went two and a half on that one, and then the main event in the twenty third show, the Mayu versus Utami, was awesome. Uh, it was exactly kind of what you want out of those two. Just really action packed, worked at a great pace. Uh, got a shit on Daichi though, of course, because that dude is incapable of doing a two point nine nine kickout with, because he always pulls up at two point five. Because, like, Utami was kicking out of that. She would have gotten out before the three, but he pulled up already before she kicked out. And I've seen him do this before, so it's like they... You can't trust the man to, to with a 2.99 kick out. Uh, but either way, that being said, small mark on a really good match that I went uh, four and a quarter on. Uh, what were your thoughts on the tournament? Yeah, I thought the same, and I also noticed that Daichi moment because it weirdly made it appear that the pin had happened. Yeah. And I thought he had botched the count on the three, but it was just him pulling up before the kick out, which would have still made it before three. Yeah. He, he botched that one real bad. Um, I thought the matches, your thoughts were largely my thoughts. Um, I really liked the Mayu Utami match as well. Uh, seeing Kyrie alpha female, in a singles match really bought, brought me back to 20, you know, 2015, 2016 stardom. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget. This is my biggest alpha female memory is that in 2016, I took a few days off to watch all the WrestleMania shows, the WrestleMania weekend shows. That was like one of the first years, maybe the first or the second year where a lot of stuff was streaming where you could time it, where you could be watching stuff most of the day. 
so I said, I'm just going to stay home and I'm going to stream everything. But it wasn't so packed like it is now where you have to sort of choose one or the other. It was like, this is the only thing that's streaming for the next three hours. And then after that, this show will be streaming. So I said, I'm just going to stream everything. I sent an email out to all my friends, some who were wrestling fans and some who were not. And I said, I'll be doing this all weekend. If you want to come over, feel free at any time. I'll just be watching wrestling all weekend. (laughs) And I had a friend who reached out who said, oh, I'll come over. I've never watched wrestling, but it seems interesting. So she came over. We watched one of the Evolve shows. I think the Evolve show that had um, Sabre Jr. versus Osprey because um, that was the Dallas year, the match that was really good. And I think it had the Darby Allen debut match in Evolve. Uh, show was really good. It, my friend was like, wow, this is really great. But then we had something like two hours to kill before the next show was streaming. And so I said, oh, well, I have a stardom show that I haven't watched yet. Um, because they were putting up matches one day at a time. And it was the show from the week prior, which the main event was Io Shirai versus Alpha Female for the title in some small venue that was seating 250 people or something. And we watched that match. And my friend was like, this is terrible. Um, <laughs> And I was like, oh, no, I've blown it with my friend. Like, I've gotten a friend into wrestling and almost immediately blown it by showing them Io Shirai versus Alpha Female from some tiny rinky-dink place. uh, You know, we eventually, I think the next show was another Evolve show, and it was great. And that sort of went away, and my friend still likes wrestling to this day. Um, But I will never forget alpha female that is my number one thing with alpha female so watching this match i was like oh gosh of alpha female singles match just having flashbacks Uh, yeah but i thought Kyrie worked very hard i thought it was very odd that uh alpha female kept referring to it as the wwe diva style uh i don't know if alpha female is aware that they haven't been called wwe divas in what seven years they weren't divas when she was there for her stuff at the women's classic or whatever. She was like, oh, diva style, diva style. I was like, okay. Uh, yeah, but she the match- really looks like she's got some weird opinions that would be on YouTube or something. <laughs> I don't even want to get into that because I think you're right. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree with you. I thought that I thought the matches on the Corican were pretty good. I thought the alpha female match, I thought Kyrie tried her best to sort of make something out of nothing there. And the Mayu Utami match was very good. I was pretty close. I think I would have gone probably four stars. I would have been a little bit under you, but four and a quarter, I think is, is pretty close to where I was. Tokyo Joshi has also been having a few shows. On October 24th, they had a fan show, a pretty wild show here. Uh, Had a lot of different types of matches. They had a cooking competition. They had a game of uh, Werewolf that they played. They had a three-match series between Dog Lovers and Cat Lovers, which ended in a one-to-one draw. Uh, between the dog lovers and the cat lovers. And then the main event was a costume switch match, a six-person tag where Rika Tatsumi was dressed as Yuka Sakazaki. Suzume wore Miyu Watanabe's gear. 
Moka Miyamoto wore Raku's gear. Mizuki came out as Maki Ito with Maki Ito. They sang Maki Ito's entrance theme together, which was fun. Uh, Raku was dressed as Rika Tatsumi. And Palm Harajuku wore a uh, Nadoka costume. It was a really fun match. Uh, I think if that sounds like something that would be fun to you, I thought it was a very fun version of the sort of costume switch match. They all sort of wrestled like the person they were dressed as, which I thought was really fun. Uh, really fun to see Suzume try her best to do the Watanabe big swing, uh, which spoilers didn't work out. <laughs> uh, slightly different size, uh, but it was a lot of fun, uh, a fun show. So I would recommend uh, that match. And then Tokyo Joshi had a show on the 29th, the mountaintop. In the semi-main, Willow Nightingale and Yuka Sakazaki defeated Yuki Kamafuku and Maki Ito. That was a match I actually thought was really good. I was sort of shocked for a sort of non-title semi-main event. I thought Willow Nightingale fit in really well with the style of the other three, and I was really super impressed by that match. I would say definitely check that out. And then the main event, Miyu Watanabe retaining her international princess title in her first defense over Mocha Miyamoto. Kelly, what did you think of the main event of the show? I liked it. Uh, it was it wasn't like a blowaway match, but it was a really good kind of house show main event. Uh, I felt like they did a lot to make Mocha actually look like a credible challenge here, and I thought that worked really well. And Miyu had a strong looking title defense. I went three and a half on it. I also hate to harp on this, but uh, Mocha Miyamoto was dressed as Raku at the costume on the costume switch match. And I was like, wow, she looks much more professional in different <laughs> gear. I am desperate for her to get different gear. Yeah, her gear is not very good. There's just something about it that reads to me so. Like, obviously, I think no one is surprised that me won this match. But to me, it feels like she is not at that level until she gets gear that to me says, I am a wrestler, and her gear doesn't say that. Mm -hmm. So that was my thing. I thought the main event, I thought it was a fairly solid, uh, sort of smaller show. Title defense, I would say not one to go out of your way to see. Um, but yeah. Sendai Girls just uh, today, as we are recording, had their big show in Niigata, which was headlined by Chihiro Hashimoto and Yu versus Aja Kong and Asuka. Also on that show, a singles match between Mayumi Ozaki and Dash Chizako. Uh, a big announce, some big announcements out of Ice Ribbon. They announced their most of their schedule for 2023 and announcing they are moving down to only three Corican Hall shows in 2023. I believe one in February, one in July, and of course their traditional end of the year show on New Year's Eve. Uh, a little bit of sad sort of inevitable, inevitable news, it feels like, uh, with Ice Ribbon struggling with a lot of people retiring or leaving. Uh, Kelly, I know Kelly feels the same way as I do. Yeah. Ice Ribbon has always sort of been a promotion we wish we covered more. Uh, 
thoroughly on this podcast, um, but unfortunately, it looks like they are. It they feel to me like the only company who has really been hurt by the emergence of stardom and Tokyo Joshi. Yeah, no, I would agree. They've definitely it's and well, and just having retirements and all that stuff just hit them hard too. So it's just it, it, the whammies keep coming. It felt like they were the only like a lot of these smaller promotions like Marvelous is a fairly small promotion wave. There's not really much there for them to lose really when you think about it. I think Ice Ribbon a few years back was sort of on the precipice of something big. You know, they had Suzu up and coming who felt like a big deal. They had some names that seemed to be growing, gaining a fan base. And then it just felt like it all sort of came unwound a little for them. Um, I'm hopeful that going down to these three Corricans, maybe they can, you know, sort of pull back a little bit, recover, and then come back stronger as they develop maybe some more wrestlers and things like that. But fingers crossed. Uh, I know I, and I believe I speak for Kelly, as I said, we both have really liked Ice Ribbon. Uh, And of course, we want to see all of these Joshi companies do as best as they can, because the more great Joshi companies we have, the more great stuff we have to talk about on this show. Exactly. Marvelous had a show on October 25th at that show, uh, Unagi Sayaka defeated Ai Hosan. She will be taking on Maria next. And it came out Takumi Aroha will be injured and will be out for several months. Marvelous just seemingly does not have good luck with injuries. Yeah, poor Aroha. <laughs> Aroha, I mean, Mio being injured a number, a number of times. It just seems like they can't quite get you know, get everyone there at the same time, all healthy and sort of moving in the same direction. Wave had a show at Corican Hall on October 24th. It had only one single match on it, which was a <laughs> number one contender battle royal with a lot of people in it, but it was won by Yuki Miyazaki, who will be challenging for the Regina de Wave in the next two weeks, which we will talk about in a second as we dive into what is coming up in the world of Joshi. Stardom, a big show on November 3rd. We'll roll through it. The first match, Saeeda and Momokogo taking on Azumi and Miyu Amasaki and Lady C and Wakasukiyama. Kelly, do you want to guess... Who takes the loss in this match? Oh. Hmm. Don't hurt this yourself. Might, this might be shocking. But I think it's going to be Waka. Wow. Which, by the way, that just reminds me. I just blew past something that I meant to do, which is that I saw some live Joshi this weekend. You did. You saw Waka in the flesh. I saw Waka Sukiyama in the flesh taking a loss. Uh, I did. I attended the New Japan Rumble on 44th Street event. 
which featured a dark match of Mina Shirakawa and Waka Sugiyama taking on Kylie Ray and Tiara James, which was a fun enough match. I was actually shocked to... I, I will say this. The crowd was not good, but uh, really all night for The crowd match. was behind Waka, though. I, I saw on the, uh, the, crowd, the, on the pre-show. The crowd was behind Waka more than Mina. <laughs> Uh, there were, you know, there were cheers for Mina, but I was shocked. Waka was the most over person in the match. There was a Waka Mania chant I heard. There was a brief, very brief Waka Mania chant from the crowd. Uh, the crowd really liked her. I will also say this. You know, we watch these stardom shows and everyone is sort of everyone is in the company on the same level. It really is shocking to see stardom wrestlers take on sort of non wrestlers who are not in a company like stardom because the gear, I mean, Mina and Waka's gear blew away Kylie Ray and TR James. I mean, they look like they were in a different league Yeah, than them. It looked, they both look great. The gears looked really high quality, super impressive. Uh, it's just something you don't think about because you see all these people in the same company all the time with everyone who is sort of on that same level. Uh, so I was really blown away by that, uh, but enjoyed that match. Nothing crazy. And of course, Waka took the loss. There were some people very nervous that Waka was going to win her first ever match in a dark match on a New Japan show in New York City. It would have uh, been incredible. It, well, I, if that would have happened, I would have laughed so hard. <laughs> uh, but it did not happen. Uh, Waka did lose. And then the other match was Mayu Iwatani taking on Kylan King. That was on the main show. Uh, it was one match below the semi-main event of the night. A match I thought was good. I thought it started out sort of awkwardly. It felt like two people who didn't really know each other. Uh, Kylan King, if you don't know, is very tall. I think she's six two or something. Holy shit, really? Um, yeah, she's wow. very big, and she looks very big uh, in person. So I think there was a, a little bit of a level of Mayu sort of figuring out how to wrestle someone who's so large, uh, because who is the tallest person in stardom? Probably Himika. Himika is five eight. Um, Himika always looks like a giant. Is it Lady C? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But in terms of like a big singles match, it might maybe it is Himika. But as I said, Himika is five eight, so she's like almost a half a foot shorter than. Kylan King. So there was, I think, some stuff at the at the beginning where they were sort of figuring out how to do this. I wasn't crazy about it. And then near the end, I thought it really picked up. It got pretty good. The crowd got into it more. Um, as I said, the crowd was bad all night. Uh, so really didn't have a great amount of support during the match. But I thought it ended pretty well. Um a little bit confusing why they chose to have this 
show be the first one that stardom people were on. I mean, they did treat it like a fairly big deal. They had an interview segment before the match with both Kylan King and Mayu Iwatani, who the interview, the interviewer refused to say Mayu's last name and would only refer to her as Mayu, <laughs> um, which I got very nervous about. But then when they did the intros and everything, they announced her as Mayu Iwatani. Um, but yeah, so sort of two interesting, interesting matches, but nothing that I was sort of blown away by, especially knowing what Mayu is capable of. I mean, I certainly think the Mayu Utami match would blow away the one with Kylan King, but I forgot about that as we were doing the stardom recap that I meant to say our, I think our first time ever reporting on live Joshi on this podcast. (laughs) So anyway, back to the upcoming stardom shows, that November 3rd show, the second match, Hazuki and Koguma versus Saki Kashima and Ruaka. Kelly, who do you think wins this one? I don't know. I think Koguma probably takes the fall from Ruaka. <laughs> I think that may actually no 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 no. Ruaka pins Hazuki. Kelly. Just because you like Ruaka a lot doesn't mean that she's going to win every <laughs> match my that she has. <laughs> that's my fa- that's my Halloween costume this year is Ruaka fan. The costume you wear every day of your life. Yep. The next match is Mirai, Amisore, and the returning for one night Konami taking on Julia, Tekla, and Mai Sakurai. Then a singles match, Himika versus Yuna Mizumori. That match should be very good. I'm really looking forward to that match, as I'm sure you are as well, Kelly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that should be good. Then, on the opposite end of the spectrum, another singles match, Mayu Iwatani versus Alpha Female. No. Uh, <laughs> I think that's all that know. needs to be said about that. That's all that needs to be said about that match. And then a match for me and Kelly, the revenge match. Utami taking on the returning Natsuko Tora. I will say this. I have had people, people in the discord have really been going to bat for Natsuko Tora. So I'm going to say, I'm going to watch this show. Very even unbiased. If Tora has a good match, I will say she has a good match, but I'm not hopeful. Now, is this a stip, like a stipulation match, or is this like how Gabe would always do, like special challenge match number two? I believe it's one of those. Okay, because like I was gonna say, if it was a stipulation match, I would have more hope for it because Toro was actually pretty good in that uh, hardcore match, whatever it was against Julia, like either last year i think it was so maybe but i'm i'm not hopeful for this one then then a the first of three title matches the tag titles will be on the line the champions tam nakino and natsupoi will take on momo watanabe and starlight kid kelly do you think the oedo tie team grabs the victory here i don't think they do it isn't it weird to do a tag title match in the middle of your tag league tournament. Yes, it is. It's incredibly strange, but they did that during the five star. They had, yeah, 
title matches. So weird. The semi-main event, Saya Kamatani will defend against Mina Shirakawa for the Wonder of Stardom title. Mina returning from New York for the title challenge. Kelly, do you think Saya Kamatani leaves the show still Wonder of Stardom champion? I think so. I, I, I like Mina a lot. I don't see her winning the title, though. I agree with that. And the main event for the World of Stardom title, Suri defending her title against Micah. Another match where I think the outcome, not very in doubt. You know, it seems clear to me they're heading towards Suri Julia. So yeah. probably Micah is not winning the title. Do we have an idea of when that match is happening, Suri and Julia? Um, I don't know. I don't know that I saw anything about it. I think near the end of the year. Okay. Cause they wouldn't do it at the big crossover show. No, I don't know. Um, is it the show in December? Maybe. Well, if you know, let us know. Uh, what else is happening in stardom? The tag league. Moves rolls on with four shows on November 5th, 6th, 12th, and 13th. So that is all the shows that are happening in stardom in the next two weeks. Seedling has a show on November 12th at Yokohama. Oz Academy has a show on November 6th at Shinjuku Face. Tokyo Joshi has some shows coming up on the 6th and the 13th. Ice Ribbon has shows on the 5th and the 6th at Tokyo Dome City Hall. It is a joint show with a bunch of uh, idol groups, but on the show on the 5th, Sayori Ano will defend her Ice Infinity title against Nao Ishikawa. And then Wave, as we talked about, Yuki Miyazaki, the new number one contender, will challenge the champion Hikaru Shida for the Regina DeWave title on the Wave Korokin Hall show on November 6th. So that is everything coming up in the next two weeks of Joshi Wrestling. Kelly, do you have any closing thoughts? Buddy, it's time to talk about some anime. All right, so we got we got a great season of anime. We got we got a uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, The Witch for Mercury. Very good. Very much like a shoujo style show, but in the Gundam world. Giant robots, girls doing stuff. Great time. Watch it. Very good. Uh, Pop Team Epic is back. Wacky ass show. Love it. Watch that show. Uh, Chainsaw Man. Going to be the biggest thing in the world. Definitely check it out. Dude has chainsaw arms and a face. And he cuts up demons. It's awesome. Watch it. And then my surprise show that I didn't see coming, but it fucking rules. Akiba Made War. All right. Takes place in 1999. There's a bunch of maid cafe workers. It turns out the maid cafe is essentially like the Yakuza of that world. And so they're just in constant gang wars. And it is completely insane. The third episode is a take on the Pancreas Tournament, but with maids. It's great. Best show of the year. Watch it. And that has been Anime Talk. All right. That is our... Is that the first Anime Talk we've ever had on this show? It might. I'm picking up the slack for uh, Wrestling Omakase. (laughs) Well, there you go. 
Uh, I am someone who doesn't know a lot about anime, so listen to Kelly. <laughs> yep. Uh, so that is all for this show. We will be back in two weeks to talk about that big stardom show as well as everything else happening in the next two weeks of Joshi. So for Kelly, I am Taylor saying farewell until next time. Happy Halloween. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.